What's good, people? Jose Nino here with another fantastic episode of El Nino Speaks. Today, I am joined by the thought-provoking Rose Pinochet. How are you today, Rose? I'm well. Thank you so much for that introduction, Jose. Awesome. So you have like some of like the most like polemical content, <laughs> to put it lightly, on Twitter with respect to politics and culture. But my audience might not be so aware of like your work and your overall background as well. Could you just give a brief overview of how you got into politics and what you do these days? Sure, absolutely. So I've always pretty much been right or on the right. Granted, I've drifted further and further into the right. So my family and I came here as refugees from Russia. We fled the communists, and then they fled the communists again when I left New York City in 2020. When we arrived to the States, my mom was like, yeah, we're not going to do this TV and you're not going to be, you know, retarded. So she kind of like filled me with abridged versions of classic literature. And she was also very scared I wouldn't be able to speak English. So uh, I wasn't really around to watch a lot of Russian cartoons or a lot of TV. And I kind of always had this, I mean, I don't know if it's from my mom or what she put in front of me, but my drive towards like the old world principles, right? Philosophy. Um, I'm part of Pi Sigma Tau, which is like the philosophy fraternity in New York City. A lot of what I see is process and procedure in action. And I like putting kind of a thought process behind an action, which is why I like history, which is why everything that I either delineate, distill, or describe comes from some sort of understanding of grouping and some sort of process of what it is, like a cause and effect and input and output. So when you first started in politics, I would say like most people on the right, I'd say under 40 these days, tended to come from the Ron Paul generation, from like Ron Paul's presidential run in 07. Did you come from that kind of background or did you have like a more unique like uh, origin story? I did. I did. So I'm I'm under 40, but my first vote was for Ron Paul. And I think I voted for Ron Paul every time because there was just, I mean, I recognized that the system was, we were being duped. I think Ron Paul is the only politician with any sort of integrity. And I love that he had, like, loyalty to Texas, which I think everything is downstream of. And then he was an oracle. I mean, he called out the Israel bullshit since even before I knew who Ron Paul was. He was was talking about the gold standard in fiat before anyone else was. I was a huge fan of his at, like, 16, 17 when I discovered him. And I guess, you know, he was my springboard to a lot of politics and understanding. Yeah, that uh, I had a pretty weird political evolution because I'm also an immigrant to the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. really from Venezuela, but I grew up in a milieu that was um, incredibly neoconservative in like mm-hmm. North, in the North Dallas suburbs. So during the time of the Iraq War, I kind of fell into that neoconservative Zionist mindset and was a big booster of it, like in my middle school and high school years. But thankfully, it was 
lurking in a sports forum of all places, I was able to find out about Ron Paul through this one poster that kept posting about Ron Paul in the off-topic section of the forum. And from that point forward, I fell into a rabbit hole and never came back. You can't just say that so nonchalantly. You have to elaborate this. First of all, you know I'm a huge sports fan. I mean, I hate the whole, like, woke nonsense. And, you know, I've certainly distanced myself from it. But how... I I love that it's sports. And then Ron Paul, please elaborate a little bit on that. Well, there was a guy, it's pretty funny, that would always post in the off-topic section of the forum where most people were just posting a bunch of bullshit or other stuff that was, like, non-political related. But this guy was, like, the local, like, political guy that's just posting Ron Paul videos, articles, like, on the regular. Like, every freaking day, you would just see him being, like, the guy that is, like, posting, like, 80% of the content in the off-topic section that was just political. I just watched, like, some of these videos, man. And after I watched, like, um some of, like, the recap of the debates, especially um Ron Paul's exchange with... Giuliani, that was one of the more prominent. Like, I just got hooked. And for that point forward, there was no going back. I actually did correspond with that user at times, but we kind of fell off like after a few years or so. But yeah, I do credit that guy for getting me into that. But yeah, that sports forum, there was very little like political discussion. And actually, looking back, I would venture to say that it was slightly conservative leaning, but yes, like right now, though, the sports space is very woke and Mm -hmm. even like the alternative to it, like the more like conservative alternatives to it, it's just like, like basically like rebranded neoconservatism or like um, Zionism. So it's not much to write home about, but I don't really follow much sports stuff these days. Not surprising. There's, I mean, like, I used to be a huge basketball and hockey fan. And uh, basketball went the way of FIBA, where everything was paid. I mean, LeBron's like a Zionist troll. And, like, yeah. the China pop it, and I freaking hate that. Hockey. And a BLM stooge. Yep, exactly. I mean, it, it, again, all this cultural Marxism nonsense. And it, it, it hurt, right? Because, like, I loved basketball. I would... My bucket list thing was to go to see uh, see all, like, the NBA and um, NHL teams in their home state. And I got to, like, 10. And I said, I'm just not into this as much as I used to be. So I kind of stopped. And then hockey, once again, like, when you eliminate the merit of the game and it just turns into track and field without defense, right? And again, like, this is all very much, like, Marxist incel bullshit of, like, dopamine hits and the masses digesting it, right? Because it's no longer the victor in the arena. I just stopped watching hockey because the enforcer position was decimated out of the game. And that's kind of like why we, you know, we see what we see, like the most recent video with that guy getting killed with the skate. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that, but I don't want to watch that shit. That, uh, this description of that makes me like, Keeps me, it would keep you up at night, yeah, man. Yeah. But yeah, and then you know, with UFC, which I am a huge fan of, but oh, I'm a big fan, that's the only sport I follow, <laughs> yeah. But all right, like Colby Covington, 
great fighter. I'm not saying anything about his fighting style, but like, oh my God, Maggie Train, Trump, Trump. It's like, stop it. Stop it. He's still kissing the wall. We don't want nobody to be kissing the wall, right? Like, this is kind of what we spoke about before we started the pod. It's the lack of a cultural institution that we seem not to have anymore. Like we've gotten rid of our cultural institutions and our cultural standing and everything nowadays is modern day mass media digestion. And that really bothers me. Yeah. I never actually, I think minus like right when I uh, arrived um, in like the Dallas area, when the Dallas stars were actually pretty good um, and they won their Stanley cup. Mm -hmm. um, That's when I followed hockey, but I'd, I'd, stop really watching it and really the only sport i've followed i'd say since like 2010 more or less consistently has been like mma and there are some like jake shields for example (laughs) man that guy has made has gone through like a political transformation like i am pretty impressed by some of his takes recently on twitter Absolutely. You know, and it's nice to know that you're not the only one watching, like, the downfall of the United States and the rest of the world, and some people kind of see the path. But one has to go beyond words and start doing action. And, um, you know, like, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is action. It's kind of like why I started my, you know, my project with my co-founder, Rachel, like our Cotillion Underground, where we want to create better outcomes for right-wing communities, right? Like, we think when you start fixing relations between people, you can start building communities, and then you can start taking over politics, not to be so ingratiated into, like, the leftist scope of everything, yeah, I'm going to touch up uh, on that pretty soon. But so in your time, like being involved in politics, this is a, actually an argument I've been making over the years based on my experience in the Ron Paul movement, if you will, <laughs> that not all Ron Paul supporters, whether it's 08 or 2012 or both, both presidential cycles, were um, are or were libertarians. There was a whole assortment of people from <laughs> paleoconservatives, some independent people on the left, and some just like general skeptics of government that were um, that supported Ron Paul. Were you ever a doctrinaire libertarian in that instance? I will say this when when I was a kid, right, and I call myself a kid as maybe my teens, I was definitely a libertarian. But I was <laughs> I was, yeah. but hold on a sec. I was a type of libertarian who still believed in close borders. I was a type of libertarian that never believed in polyamory or any of that dumb cultural Marxist bullshit. I was a type of libertarian who, you know, thought you needed some sort of process and structure, not like no good, no masters, right? I, you know, not some dumb <laughs> black flag blanket ideology, right? My bad take, right? And, you know, you understood that as well. I did support Israel because I I came from New York, right? The Jews were very much part, right? Like, the locks and bagel opinions were very much part of, like, my growing up. It was not until I really heard and researched what Ron said, because 
where where would one go at 17? I already was on the fringes of the right people couldn't relate to me. The only thing that would have made it worse is my saying, oh, Israel is a problem. You know what I mean? It was already a problem. So as I started becoming more right, I distanced myself from like the libertarian um, ideology and started going into more and more history, right? Like, um, I picked up some great books on Pinochet, on Franco, right, on, on Mussolini, kind of understood what they had to say. And I'm like, all right, let's go back into history. I'm a huge fan of Rome. I'm like, well, all of these battles, removing the Jews, by the way, the Greeks never did that, which is why I think the Greeks are Jews in denial. The Greeks never did that. See what happens. Take of the day. <laughs> We will so elaborate on that on the next one. But it all kind of like started coming together. And the more I read about like the usury and the history, the more right-leaning I went. So when I said I was a libertarian, I was still more right-wing death squad than half of these so, you know, so-called libertarians. Like this is why I really enjoyed Hoppe because at a point I was like, you know, I want to give people the outcomes that they want so I can take over and like absolutely raise their lands to the ground. It would be very fun for me. It would be easier in that situation because I can't do that with the federal government and everyone trying to play nice with each other. So again, like it was libertarianism with hoppianism adjacent even before I knew Hoppe. And then it was just like, okay, right wing death squad. <laughs> that was my progress, aesthetic fascism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say this. I don't um, identify uh, like any longer as like a libertarian. I'd say I'm more like a di uh, member of like the dissident right, if you will. But Hoppe yep. is, you know, I met you a few years ago when I moved to Austin. I met you because Marty picked me up and then picked you up. Yeah. And, oh, we went to this birthday party. That's what it was. We just like had all the quote unquote inappropriate conversations libertarians would, you know, have a cow over. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. I don't feel so out of place. It's important, again, like challenging the rhetoric was what a libertarian used to be. Nowadays, a libertarian is someone who just doesn't understand the power process, nor do they care about it. They're like, oh, yeah. it's a free a very dangerous ideology. Like, if you don't have an ideology, you're you're kind of a homo. Like, stop it. There's a process within everything. Yeah, I was just going to say that Hoppe was, like, the only libertarian figure in contemporary times that I take seriously. The rest are just, like, total lightweights or just some, like, permutation of cultural leftists that just has, like, a free market edge to them. But that's about it. Like these people right. just advance at this agenda, but with like a corporate twist. Right. It's so funny though. Like, I really love to rag on the ANCAPs and libertarians because they just don't get it. So, by the way, like, there's always the reading in between the lines. Are you going to tell me a man who's probably, what is he, around 80 years old or close to 80, who lived through Germany, you know, who's very, process oriented doesn't see the divide so i remember i i reached out to hoppa because like i challenged people who call themselves hoppians they're just 
LARPers who support Ukraine and Israel and deserve to be gassed. I said, hey, I'm a huge fan of your books. I've read your works. I've listened to your YouTube uh, clips. And like, I see a lot of the cultural adjacency that you just don't write about, but kind of imply. Do you think there should be a disregard for the nap and a division between Hoppians and libertarians, right? Because everything really is about hierarchies and like filtering things out or people out. And Hoppel literally wrote to me, yes, and indeed. And he agreed with me. So like, we used to be able to be libertarians in maybe 2010, 2012, you know, that time in the before era. And after 2020, I think the divide has to be even more separated than what it is currently. Oh, no, uh, no doubt. Yeah, I think like being libertarian in 2023 is just not reading the room politically. And it's just asking for a total like political ass kicking at a time when we're dealing with uh, an enemy that uh, ultimately wants to destroy us. Exactly. That's the power process. That That's exactly it, right? It is the time in 2023 is no longer to, you know, twiddle your thumbs and say, well, you know, it doesn't bother anyone. So, like, it's not hurting me. Everyone consented. Fuck you and your consent. No, there are good outcomes and there are bad outcomes, right? It's, it's very mathematical. It's input and output, right? Like on Twitter today, I think I saw, again, some some Jew, obviously, it's like early life fact checks, was like, well, what happens if a young girl who consents and her parents consent is shipped off to Epstein and he gives her a lot of money and puts it into a trust fund and, you know, they have sexual relations? I'm like, fucking gas. And the fact that libertarians are still entertaining this, like, if you deteriorate culture, you deteriorate the moral fabric of society, and this is literally why we are where we are. If you think capitalism can solve everything, I'm wondering what your price is to sell, you know, your wife, your children, yourself, your family into sex slavery. That's that's so gross to me. Again, there is no moral fabric. People don't think about what everything is like downstream of in terms of like, you know, the permutations of what it takes to create a good society and a structured society and a moral society. It's really not just merit. It's loyalty. And and, and within loyalty, you have this adherence to like morality, ethics, all the good stuff. <laughs> Which right wing figure or figures would you say really played like a major role in in shifting your views from like a conventional right-wing um outlook to like a much more like harder right perspective funny enough i found a book of like pinochet letters in like an old school bookstore in new york that was going out of business and i love letters right because that's like a primary source I was like, okay, there are things that the current regime won't tell us that are just not found in textbooks. Like, and I remember reading textbooks when I was a kid saying, there's so much more to this. How do I discover more? And my library was limited. You know what I mean? Like when you keep getting the same story over and over again, it's a problem. So it's kind of why I focused on all the 
dictators and their, you know, adjacent writings. And I'm like, okay, you know what? What was society like before? What was society like after? Cool. I like what it was like after. Was it a little harsh? Sure. But there's a reason why we call it tough love. If you ask me to cite like a current politician, et cetera, et cetera, that's just not who I am because I think yeah, everyone— We're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, we 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 have some friends that are both mutual, you know, are, are mutuals who I respect and whose opinion I listen to, but I form their opinions as much as they form mine, you know, and that's what that's what friendship is, right? And and traveling in these types of circles. Yep. Okay, I now I want to go into this matchmaking service that you have. Could you go into more details about it and tell my audience about that? Because I think it's very intriguing. It's also incredibly practical on numerous fronts because there's a clear demographic problem in the collective West. And that is one of like the existential issues of our time. If like we don't breed, like our civilizations will disappear. And mm -hmm. there's been a proliferation to of all these dating apps and whatnot that just yielded like really suboptimal results and all of that. And I think that it's good that we go back to basics and bring back like matchmaking and other functions that used to be generally accepted practices for bringing people together of like the opposite sex or just really just creating like more of like a functional civil society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it in in that intro, right? Functional civil society. I hate to say it, but, and I understand, you know, looking at social media, because it's such a microcosm of people who don't interact with others, who are kind of recluses and shut-ins, who are basement dwellers, right? Like all the stereotypes ring true. But you see that these opinions, right? Like there's nothing more gratifying for somebody to have their opinion validated when they're hurt. And if you just create a society out of hurt and neglect, you're, you're kind of creating that like Marxian, egalitarian tragedy of the commons. And that's what we have seen on an emotional sense. And it's just as gross. Like we see the manosphere saying all these awful things about women. How are you going to have a society where it's only men and only women on one side and one side, right? Like, this is kind of like game theory because you have the most dominated position offered on both sides. And by the way, right, feminism, just like it was a CIA PSYOP, same thing with MGTOW. The same people who brought you feminism also brought you male feminism, right? There are ways that we forgot how to treat each other. And what I what I find hysterical is like the men complaining, oh, women are not giving me the authority. No one's ever going to give you power. You have to take responsibility. You have to stop glitching about not having power. Lead by example. And what, you know, we kind of want to do is create a right wing community and right-wingers, um, not fake right-wingers who quote-unquote take the red pill, but real people who learn or want to learn how to kind of give back to society, return back to like a social function of society, will understand this. There are ways to conduct and communicate. And matchmaking 
which is where our service starts, is like the first way to fix relations between in the West between men and women. Once you have that and you have happy families populating children with better ideologies, you can start creating communities, right? People of a feather will want to hang out, right? They will want to espouse the same beliefs because they know how hard it is to do that. And part of our matchmaking also is self-improvement, right? Like financial literacy, responsibility, all of these things that are not taught in school and people just have gaps in. Because when you have, like, if you look at dating apps, it's not like making a love match. It's like making a perfect citizen. Are you vaccinated? Do you love the environment? Yeah. Do you want yeah. humanism? Okay, cool. Yes. I want to take what the fucking left does and I want to make it based. All right. Do you want to eliminate the left, create a right-wing death squad, eliminate the degenerate values of society like polyamory and getting cucked and like putting, you know, 8,000 pharmaceuticals into the water supply? Awesome, right? <laughs> well, let's do that. And the only way to do that is to beat them uh, at their own game. And to do that, you have to repair the relations between communities, between individuals, between the sexes. No doubt. So is this uh, matchmaking service like fully online now or is it still being like rolled out we're, as we speak? Yeah, so we're still looking for investors. So we kind of came out with this idea sometime in the summer, and we've been shopping our idea around. Like, you know, we we certainly would love it if people could donate, but we are also really looking for investors. We have, you know, we have a pitch deck. We have a financial model that I built because I was a consultant. We have, like, a projected ROI, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that we are really disappointed with is every like startup incubator that is well-known and quote-unquote pitches themselves as right-leaning is like, oh, well, we should do AI. And I look at them, I'm like, that's literally transhumanism. And the fact that we're getting these disgusting dopamine hits of like swiping left and right and not, you know, and like modifying people is a problem. Like we need that return to matchmaking. Like, like you said, right? Like the old school traditional ways. And the way I wanted to do it is like, I have my own proprietary method that I've done and I've used to like build teams when I've worked as a consultant with my clients. And one of those things is understanding like not just interests, but personal, I guess, nuances of a person's personality, like agreeableness and conscientiousness where some women rank high in or most women rank high in are not exactly qualities that men rank high in. So you need a perfect complement for that, right? So some people who are neurotic might be conscientious, but if they're neurotic and agreeable, you know, you can almost make it work. So it kind of becomes like astrology in a way because like Ugh. you, you know, I archetype people and process and based on what your input is, there's a complement to your way. And that's what we want to kind of deliver to the masses, because then you start understanding and have a different alignment of thinking of how your partner works, how your community works, and how to really reclaim the social fabric. Yeah, uh, yeah no doubt. I, I think this is a very good idea. And it's 
necessary because one thing I've noticed with a lot of right-wing movements these days, mm-hmm. they don't really build stuff. They mostly complain or engage in activity that's been demonstrated to be suboptimal or it just isn't really getting the job done in terms of affecting cultural or political change. And I think it's high time that people start looking at non-state activities to reverse a lot of these dysfunctional trends that have emerged in the last century or so. So good on you for that. What is the target demographic of people, not just like politically, but also in terms of like income or like cultural upbringing that you guys are uh, primarily targeting? So what we wanted to target is right-leaning men. But when I say right-leaning, like we kind of will have a questionnaire and because it's really like the two of us, I mean, we are looking for a board of directors who kind of, you know, have our back and we'd like to grow this to be big in every single state. But if you've ever complained and whined about the opposite sex, I don't really think you got what it takes to be a right-wing man. And again, it's that's a little bit of a blanket statement and, it, it, you know, it's, it's not fair, but if you think about it, when you air your dirty laundry perpetually, what kind of vibes are you putting out into, you know, out into the world? Like, you don't seem like a person who has their, sh- you know, their shit together, their life, you know, intact. And and again, everything happens. Like, I get it. You know, I've had a lot of personal strife, but I'm not over there, you know, on social media airing it 24-7. If someone wants to do that, that's that's on them. That's their prerogative. But we want people who put their money where their mouth is, right? Saying, look, the system is broken. I'm upset about it. That's okay. That's not, you know, airing your dirty laundry. That's just airing a grievance, which is true. I like, you know, I wish I could meet somebody. We'd like men who contribute to their um, to their communities and their societies, right? Like the group chat that I started that you're in. A lot of those men, unfortunately, it's a very male-dominated group chat, but a lot of those dudes, like, contribute to their neighbors, right? And it's not like, oh, well, I want, you know, $50 in return. It's it's not about financial transactions, because if the monetary system is going to collapse, as we know it, the only currency you really have is your social credit and your social standing with, you know, your community, your friends, your family, your neighbors. And so a lot of the people who, you know, I've interfaced with and interacted with are great people. And I'm like, you would be, you know, kind of an icon, right? Like a patron saying <laughs> of, of goodness. These are the types of people where we're really looking for. Yes, income is contingent on like providing a good life. Because if you are raising a family and your wife has to work instead of, you know, help raise, well, help raise the kids and or everything else that, you know, right-wingers typically want to do, we kind of start back in square one where you need extra outside help and then you bring in too many variables into the home to say, crap, where do we, you know, how do we like situate ourselves back? Because, like, a nanny will probably not be right-leaning. 
the state is definitely not right-leaning, throwing your kid into a kindergarten, right? Like, does not espouse or help espouse the family traditions and right-wing traditions that we want to talk about. And again, it's like, it's a lifestyle institution. It's a cultural institution, which is why we called it cotillion, because we've been robbed of it. People used to introduce their friends to other people. People used to meet in, in colleges or at work. And the leftists have said, no, we must hate men. We must hate women. You know, the sexes can't, you know, intermingle. So every cultural institution as we knew it is gone. So cotillion, underground cotillion, aims to kind of bring it back forward. Yeah, there's actually a interesting trend too because if you look at the numbers from various sources, mm. the way couples are meeting these days is like over um, it's a plurality online. It's not like overwhelmingly online. Nevertheless, um, you have seen like a marked decrease in couples meeting at work, uh, education, church, and other. Mm civil society functions though i saw one survey that said that like now in terms of like in meat space like in person where people are meeting more um our bars but that's just like a sign of the times where it's like mm -hmm. you have to go to like the weirdest places to meet people like in real life but yeah i've done like the whole online dating shtick and i've never really cared for it because most of the chicks i've met they're like i've never really vibed beyond like a like sexual level like i didn't have like much alignment and values and stuff and i'm not gonna like go into like a long-term relationship with um with somebody that i can't really jive with like philosophically and like culturally right because why would you it's just gonna breed discord like, if you say, you know, right-wing death squad, and she's like, oh, my God, this new tranny that I saw on, like, TV is telling me to buy, you know, this new pill. It's called Maids. Isn't that great? Like, you're like, wait a second. This is not at all what I want in my, you know, in my life. Yeah. You have to align with people. And we've just become so fragmented as a community. And unfortunately, like, Part of what we wanted to offer with uh, Underground Cotillion is in-person meetups. You have to be present. You have to show up. You can't just be like a keyboard warrior. That's leftism. Yeah, that's the bug man lifestyle that I want mm -hmm. no part of whatsoever. Mm -hmm. How many people who are right-wing or right-leaning or right-dissident do you know who don't really go out and socialize. Yeah, a lot, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the bars, right? Like I was out at a bar with friends last night and every single person we saw was a leftist. <laughs> like, <laughs> it inspired the motif of, you know, I think I just like watching twinks become stupider as they drink. Like, that was the motif of the night. And that's, that's the demographics. So yeah. how are you going to meet someone if, you know, all the right-wingers are at home? Like, am I going to, you know, knock on every door and say, hey, can I introduce you to our Lord and Savior, you know, Franco? Right? Like, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I've found, like, in terms of bars, like in Austin and also a lot of other cities nationwide, because a lot of these trends tend to be, like, increasingly universal in the U.S., that 
country bars. I've found like people that I've um generally jived with a lot more. And I've never been like the biggest country music genre stand, but having just like ventured into those places, I did find some people that were actually like much more receptive because when I go to like other places, it's just like a jungle. Like it feels like you just enter the Moss Eisley Cantina if we're being pretty blunt here. Yeah. Like the domain is a very good example. What what's that roof um rooftop seventy seven, I think that's what it's called. Oh the yeah, yeah. Rose Room. Oh man, I've got a story there. <laughs> yeah. Tell me it's not like twenty something year olds and 55-year-old chic sugar daddies. Like, the whole thing is just so gross to me. Like, I mean, I love to dance, and I, you know, and I like to go out, and I know the bouncer, so I never have to wait in line, but that's just me. (laughs) Even I, I'm like, no, thank you. I just, I don't don't want to do that. Yeah, Domain is a weird part of, like, of Austin. It's also really new, which, which shows, like, the dysfunction, too, because it's really not, it has, like, a... A bunch of like Gulf Arab oligarchs and just this weird assortment of people that honestly were brought about, brought here because of like post nineteen sixty five immigration act policies. It's like the embodiment of the global homo culture that's engulfing a lot of the U.S. And that's a I've um I haven't been to like uh, Rose Room and that whole area in, in a few months, but I did go with some friends of mine like i think like 2021 like right after like a lot of the covid hysteria Mm -hmm. subsided but yeah that's a part of austin i generally try to avoid as much as possible yep i i think i've been there two times at nighttime one of them was like a girlfriend of mine had a uh like a graduation so she invited like a bunch of us girls right so it was like and then you know some other people showed up but it was pretty awful and degenerate. And like, I think I ended up telling some, so let me not use all the racial epithets on your podcast person. I was like, I don't talk to people with me. Oh, thank you. It's <laughs> 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 like them bumping me. Yeah. I was like, no, no, I'm okay. I don't want to be here. This is just not conducive to like the energy I want. Um, and I want to give off. Like, I, I like having a good time, but this is just not a good time. This is just fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, what would you say are like the biggest challenges that you face with your matchmaking service in terms of getting it off the ground and turning it into like a viable a vehicle to like restore some semblance of order in America's cultural spaces? So we've reached out to so many big names and, you know, I'm not going to name them because. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I have respect for these people, but some of the big names who work in politics are like, I don't, I don't understand what like matchmaking has to do with politics. I'm like, you know, you, you know, you, you're fighting with an entire system that creates and funnels data for free and then educates children to be leftists and your job is not insured, you know? So we have those issues and just pretty much like no one wants to help get you off the ground because everyone dwells in the infotainment aspects because it's easy. It's easy to say, oh my God, I told you so, right? Just listen to me. I told you so. Okay. But if you <laughs> without a process or an actionable plan and here, 
we are, right? I've, I've written pitch decks. I've written like the financial models. I need some help like sourcing things. And this, this costs a lot. That's, that's a big problem because the community who needs it and, and, and claims to want it doesn't want to lift a finger. And then, you know, the investors are always like ROI, ROI, software, software. What happened to a legacy build? We, we, we no longer have that. What happened to generational creation? Like, where, where is the lineage that we are? What's the lineage we're creating? And the answer is none. And, you know, like, there was an, an uh, upstart incubator who's like, oh, my God, we really want to build parallel societies. We built them a pitch deck. We worked with their COO, who just liked to hear himself speak. And we put our thing, you know, we, we submitted our pitch into like a deal room and we, we never heard from them again. I think they're like a money laundering service. But the point is resources are everything. And we are competing against the West and their unlimited resource. They're literally the octopus that has a tentacle in everything. Media tentacle, entertainment tentacle, schooling tentacle, you know, culture tentacle, pop culture tentacle. There's nothing that the right has that can, you know, that can compete. And the only thing we can do is say, we're going to, you know, we're going to like fubu it, like for us, by us it. And that requires insane amount of cooperation. And it's like the right is so scared to put their money where their mouth is. It's really sad to see. Because everyone wants a Peter Thiel outcome without the Peter Thiel fed them. You know, it's just not going to happen. You have to build things with people you know and trust. That's where it starts from. Yes, uh, agreed on all fronts. This is not going to be a walk in the park whatsoever. And it's going to require people to do a lot of dirty work and just hard work that is not going to be seen in the public eye. I always tell people this because I come from a largely fitness background. People will like obsess about like the jack dude at the gym's muscles, but they won't really, they really can't grasp like a lot of like the struggle and pain that is required and like the meal prep and all that required to reach that outcome. People look at like the end result, but they don't look at the whole process that, to, that got them there. So that's something to always keep in mind. Absolutely. Well, this is a good place to put a bookmark in this conversation. Rose, as always, great chatting with you. For my audience, where can they find your latest like work and updates with respect to your matchmaking service and other projects you're working on? So I've done consulting and my consulting website is activearticulation.com. You can find me on Twitter on my 6 million one accounts. Uh, I got my, you know, old account back. So the Kali Yuga is back. It's Rose Pinochet. And the current account I use um, as I'm waiting for that one, because I got a ban without using it, is the Rose Pinochet. And we will send you our fundraiser for the Underground Cotillion and if you, you know, if any of your listeners want to invest or have questions, they can certainly reach out to us on Twitter or send us a message on our fundraiser. Awesome. Great stuff, Rose. Keep up the good work and hopefully your matchmaking service will take off and bring back much needed order to our otherwise degenerate social landscape. Oh, 
Thank you so much. And thanks for the conversation. All right. And to my audience, thank you so much for your generous attention. And with that, El Nino has spoken.